serve the Lord. We're looking at righteousness and what it looks like. And tonight, I, I begin to look at why it's important to understand what righteousness looks like. Why it's important to understand where righteousness looks like. There is a basic problem in many Christians' understanding of righteousness. And we need to get at the root of that problem. And the root of that problem is understanding that the purpose of living righteously is in order to gain acceptance with God. The purpose for living righteously is in order to gain acceptance with God. That's a problem. That is not why we live righteously. We cannot gain acceptance with God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't improve on the acceptance that we have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. In him, we are blameless. In him, we are without sin. In him, we are beloved children. In him, we have the confidence of eternal life. We cannot improve our standing with God through our own personal righteousness. Can't say that enough. That's the heart of legalism, thinking that we need to do certain things in order to gain God's approval, in order to gain acceptance with God. If that is not the reason that we are to live righteously, then what is the reason that we are to live righteously? Why then not just go and live any old way, uh, commit all kinds of sin, go into all kinds of depravity if we are not living righteously in order to gain God's approval, then why live righteously? The answer to that is the reason to live righteously is in order to reveal and glorify God. In order to reveal and glorify God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, our theme verse for tonight, it says, therefore, it's a conclusionary verse, be imitators of God. Okay, That's what righteousness looks like. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. We are to be imitators of God. I love that translation because followers can lead us down a road that isn't necessarily the right road. Okay, We are to be followers of Christ, but what does that mean? We are to be imitators of Christ. We are to look like Christ looks. We are to try to mimic Christ. We are trying to be like him in all aspects, in all ways, in every way. We are to be like Jesus Christ. In Antioch, 
It was there that the followers of Christ were first called Christians. Christians was meant as a derogatory term. Christian simply means little Christ. Little Christ. That's how the people were viewed in Antioch. They were little Christ. And that's what we are to be. Little Christ. We are to be like him. So our theme is righteousness is to reflect the character of God. That's why last week I talked about these man-made rules and why they are so pernicious. Why we have to flee them so desperately. Because of two reasons. First is they lead to self-righteousness. They lead to the idea that because I do or don't do certain things, therefore I am righteous. Self-righteous. I'm righteous in myself because I do or don't do certain things. Seeking to gain God's approval dishonors the person and work of Jesus Christ. So many people struggle in their assurance, and I'm not talking about salvation, but assurance of God's love for them today because they feel that they have sinned. They feel like they have done something that is going to separate them from God. In reality, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Persecution, strife, you know the whole passage, Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? Don't get frustrated in your relationship to God. Because your relationship to God is not dependent on your own personal righteousness. It's dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. When we live unrighteously, we need to be forgiven, but that forgiveness is always out of the shed blood, substitutionary work, death of Christ. It's never our personal righteousness that is making up for our sin. It's always about Jesus Christ. So we need to live righteously in order to reveal the true character of God. Now, I really appreciate some of the changes that are taking place in theology. They, they are regaining some emphases. Okay? So I'd like to talk to you about two important words in theology today. You may have heard them. The first is the term missional. Missional. And a lot of people who don't know what that term means kind of chuckle at it and say, well, the church has always been interested in missions. That's nothing new. Missional and the ordinary thinking of missions are two different concepts. Missions usually means going and taking the gospel to a certain group of individuals. Missional means that you are on a mission. 
It flows out of John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, and said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So we are on a mission sent by Jesus Christ, sent in the same way that God the Father sent Jesus. So we are to be doing Jesus' work. Every single one of us. Uh, I really appreciate our brother Dwayne Moyer. He's got this emphasis. He says it loud. He says it clear. says it better than I'm going to be able to say it. He's coming in January. Can't wait to hear him. Okay? And uh, he's going to talk more about this. But we are all on a mission. And that mission is to reveal God. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then you know the rest of that verse. And we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus revealed the Father. And in revealing the Father, he revealed a God who was full of grace and truth. Picks up on where we were last Sunday night. There are three things that he requires of us to do justly. That's the truth part. To love mercy. That's the grace part. And to walk humbly with our God. Okay? So we are to reflect the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of living righteously is to show forth the work of Jesus Christ. It is to show what it would be like to be in Christ's presence. What it would be like if Christ was at our workplace, if Christ was at our school, if Christ was in our community. People are to see Christ in us. That's the purpose of living righteously. And when we live unrighteously, we dishonor God, for we represent Christ in an inappropriate way. We give reason to people to reject Christ or blaspheme Christ. So we live righteously in order to reveal the true character and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus was so angered by the Pharisees so often, because they were teaching a self-righteousness, and they were teaching, teaching rules and regulations that had nothing to do with showing forth the person of God. And in their behaviors, they were actually going against God. And they were antithetical to him. So we need to understand that the purpose of living righteously is to reveal the character of God. I said there are two words that are important. Missional. We're on a mission. The second word that's often used today to talk about uh, a theological understanding of 
what we are to be doing, how we're to be living, is the word incarnational. An incarnational theology. The youth just talked about incarnation tonight. Okay, that is God becoming man. God becoming man. We are to be incarnational. We are to be a people that reflect the person of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Now, that's not heretical. It's not talking about in the same way that, that God was in Christ, but we are to be reflecting that work of Christ in our own hearts, in our own lives. I'm just trying to think if I wanted to say something else, but I'm going to steal my thunder for this coming Sunday so, morning, so I won't, okay? So let's move on and look at our handout tonight. Theme, righteousness is to reflect the character of God. In order to do that, number one, righteousness beha- righteous behavior is to look differently from those who do not know the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So there, there need to be some changes that take place in our life. These changes are, come about, first of all, A, they, that is these Gentiles, make decisions in keeping with what they think seems right. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, in the emptiness, in the vanity of their minds. It flows out of Romans chapter 1. Who when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Same idea here. Okay, The futility of their minds. In other words, this sense of right and wrong that comes from our own thinking, rather than from the word of God. My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Number one, the problem with that is that our sinful minds are corrupt. They are darkened in their understanding. Left to ourselves, left to our own conscience, left to our own devices, left to our own reason, we're going to pervert justice. We are going to call that which is evil good and that which is good evil. That was the problem when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had an experiential knowledge of evil, a theoretical knowledge of good. God has an experiential knowledge of good, a theoretical knowledge of evil. It is topsy-turvy. Unregenerate mankind is moved away from God, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. This has resulted in an unwillingness to seek out God and his counsel due to their hardness of heart. They resist the word of God. One of the ways that we can sense our closeness to God, is our desire to hear the word of God. When we do not desire to hear the word of God, we are far from him. In the book of Timothy, 
It talks about the perilous times of last days because they will be lovers of themselves rather than uh, loving others. And they will love pleasures more than love God. Then the characteristic is that they are going to no longer uh, want sound doctrine, but will heap up unto themselves teachers having itching ears. Okay? The problem with Christianity today is that people don't want to hear the word of God. Sing, yes. Testify, yes. Praise, yes. Sit under the teaching of the word of God, no. No, but there isn't a hunger for the word of God. Instead, number five, they simply follow their senses. Oh, uh, uh, excuse me, number four, therefore they have become even more resistant to listening to God. They have become callous, it says. They simply follow their senses and have given themselves up to sensuality, acting out of their emotions. Follow their gut, we might say. That's a part of how people decide for themselves what is right or wrong, what, what feels right to them, what seems appropriate to them, what seems good to them. This gut reaction, rather than the objective word of God, it becomes subjective as to what is right for you. And we are taught in our world today that what you need to do is be true to yourself. True to yourself. That means no matter what anyone else thinks and no matter what anyone else says and no matter what other influence you come under, what you need to do is be true to yourself, which simply means you need to do what you feel you need to do. You've got to follow your gut. You've got to follow your instincts. You've got to live your life the way you think you should live your life. And don't let anyone else tell you how to live. And certainly don't let the Word of God tell you how to live. You need to be true to yourself. And the next word in our society, our culture, is the word authentic. Authentic. We need to be authentic. We need to be real. And what that simply means is that we need to act in a manner that is consistent with being true to ourselves. And if you do that, you're going to be authentic. You'll be genuine. You'll be real. Following your own way. That's exactly opposite to what the Word of God teaches. Number six, their passions or desires lead them towards an insatiable desire for what is impure as opposed to a longing for what is pure. Ephesians 4.19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, which results in 
a greediness to practice every kind of impurity. This sense of greed is the sense of insatiable. The more impure people are, the more impurity they want. Romans chapter 1, God gave them over to their lust. God gave them over to their desires. It's why people move down this progression. It's why, and I hope you can follow me. This is a long series, and I'm weaving and, and uh, bobbing, but I mentioned that there is a progression of sin. We, we looked at roots of sin and, the, and then its manifestation of it. And I said, you know, one of the problems with homosexuality today is that people become bored with all of the heterosexual things. Impurity leads to more impurity. And insatiableness. We use the word addiction. We talk about people being addicted to pornography, addicted to whatever. It becomes insatiable. You can't get enough. You can't satisfy enough. You can't get enough pleasure. Even if you gave yourself wholly to the things, it's not enough. The exact opposite in the word of God is that we are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Notice those words, hunger, thirst. It is talking about a strong desire, hunger, thirst after righteousness. Can't get enough of wanting to be righteous. Can't get enough of wanting to be holy. Can't get enough of hearing God's word. Can't get enough of seeking to have a right relationship with God. You, can, you want it desperately as opposed to desperately wanting the impurity. Number two, righteousness is obtained by following the truth that Christ taught. For we have learned differently from Christ, Ephesians 4.20, but this is not the way you learned Christ. Okay, This is not what Christ taught. B, that is if we have been instructed concerning Christ. Ephesians 4.21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. And that means in respect to him. Okay, assuming that you know what Christ taught. Back to the word of God again. Back to knowing the truth again. Back to the commission. Matthew, we think of the great commission. Go ye, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples, making followers. Okay? The scripture does not teach us to evangelize the world. Let me say that again. The scriptures do not teach us to evangelize the world. The scripture teaches us to make followers. There's a world of difference. There's a world of difference. For many, all we do as Christians is try to get someone to make a profession of faith. And when we've done that, We've done our job. It's finished. No. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. That's not the commission. The mission is that we are to make disciples. We are to make 
followers of Jesus Christ. And what does that look like? Teaching them to do what? Observe everything that I have commanded you. Teaching them to do everything that I have said. This is what it means to be instructed, taught in Christ. It is a continually revealing what Jesus said about how we're to live, how we're to conduct ourselves. If we want to be imitators of him, then we have to know what he did and what he was like. That's why I don't like that phrase in making decisions to ask the question, what would Jesus do? That is a great, great way of making a decision if you know what Jesus would do. If you know what Jesus did, if you know what Jesus taught, then it's great. But I think that in most people's minds, that translates into, what would I do if I were Jesus? That's a very poor way of making a decision. A follower is to be one who has learned to obey all that Jesus commands. Nothing more, nothing less. C, the truth of how we are to live is in keeping with what Jesus taught, as the truth is in Jesus. Number three, Jesus taught that we must bring about a new way of life. To put off our old self, we must stop the practices that we used to engage in, which belongs to your former manner of life. The practices that resulted from our sinful desires, corrupted through deceitful desires. We must live by a new mindset and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Okay? So it's a new process, a new thought process. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is this new mindset. It is different from the darkened mind. It's different from the feudal mind. It is a mind that will be instructed and taught in the word of God, and then follow that word. That is the answer to our corrupt desires. To be renewed in our minds. That new mindset will result in a totally different person. Verse 24, to put on a new self. It will be a mindset to live in keeping with the purpose for which we were created and put on a new self created after the likeness of God. I wish I had two hours to work on this. But these words are chosen carefully in the word of God. Created after the likeness of God. Remember back into Genesis chapter 1. The purpose of creation. The Godhead took counsel together and said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God made man to look like, not physically, but look like the person of God, the creator. And so he gave mankind dominion over this earth, to rule over this earth like 
God rules over this earth. Gave dominion, gave family, even as the Trinity has a relationship to one another. Now there's to be an Adam and an Eve, and they are to reflect the oneness of the Trinity. They're to become one flesh, even as God is one. So in their relationships, they are to reflect the Godhead, the person of God. That's why in Ephesians, marriage is likened unto Christ and the church, the relationship that exists there. Our marriages are to reflect that relationship. That's why our marriages are to remain intact, because God's relationship remains intact. It's more than simply about us. It's about representing God to our world. So living righteously, the reason we're concerned about our marriages is because they reflect the person of God. They reflect his holiness. God is a faithful husband to Israel. Christ is a faithful husband to the church. So we are faithful husbands because we want to represent what God is. We keep our covenants because God is a covenant-keeping God. We should look at all righteousness as a means of revealing to our fellow man who and what God is. We are to be good fathers because we have a heavenly Father who is in heaven. And every time we abuse our children, we misrepresent who God is. Every time we act selfishly, we misrepresent who God is. It is our ultimate purpose in life to reflect the glory of God. But so often, these things are represented in very selfish ways. So that the reason you're to love your spouse is so you can be happy. So you can have a good marriage. So you can get along. It's always man-centered rather than God-centered. We are to be revealing God in our society. B. This will result in what is a real righteousness. To put on a new self created after likeness of God in true righteousness. As opposed to a false righteousness. As opposed to a man-made righteousness. This is what righteousness really looks like according to Ephesians chapter 5. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. Revealing the character of God. This will result in a change of our desires, in true righteousness and holiness. As I mentioned before, the difference between righteousness and holiness, righteousness is always actions, it's deeds. Holiness is intrinsic. It is about our nature. It's about who and what we are. Okay, it is Job was a righteous man. Job was a holy man. And what set Job apart and was so unique was that he loved that which is good 
and he shunned that which was evil. In that he was like God. You see, we arrive when our desires are no longer corrupt, but now they are like God's desire. When we desire what he desires, then we are holy. When we delight to do his will, as Jesus delighted to do the will of his Father, whatever that means, wherever that takes us, then we are living righteously and we are becoming holy. It is then affecting our very hearts. It is when we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness that we are actually becoming holy, that the desires, the battle is lessening. It is easier to say no to that which is bad because we desperately want that which is good. Number five, the description of this kind of righteousness change is to take place. Okay? So, what happens? The putting off and the putting on. We move from practicing Deceit to telling the truth. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Okay? So it moves from deceit to telling the truth. We move from being self-righteous to truly righteous. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. To harbor bitterness. Okay? We are inviting the evil one, to come into our lives. We are inviting a division in our relationship with our spouse, with our children, if we are letting this anger build in our lives. We move from a corrupting influence to a beneficial influence. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. So we want to build up, we want to edify, we want to encourage, we want to move people on a path of righteousness as opposed to corruption, as opposed to telling dirty stories, as opposed to demeaning individuals, as opposed to putting them down, as opposed to discouraging them, as opposed to making them unhappy. We are trying to promote godliness and goodness, not in a judgmental way, but in a way in which we encourage each other day by day to be refreshing to one another. We move from not caring about God to wanting to please God. Let me change that because it sounds too much like what we're not supposed to do. So we move from not caring about God to being concerned with breaking God's heart. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not cause pain to the Holy Spirit. This is spiritual maturity. When I was a child, 
This may sound awful, but I was afraid of my dad. I was. I was afraid of my dad. He was very strict. And I got more than one spanking from him. And there were times that I kind of shook when I thought of my dad coming home. You, if you've been in the church for a while, you heard my story about how I used to throw a ball against the side of the house, and my father repeatedly told me, don't do that, and uh, he first said, I never want to see you throw the ball against the side of the house. Key word there is see, and so I would do it only when he wasn't around. Well, one day, eventually, I did what he said I would do, and that is throw the ball through the window. There was no hiding it. I was scared. I really was. I, I was scared. Dad's going to come home. He's going to be upset. I loved my father. And I, as I grew up, I learned not to fear him. And something dramatically changed in my life and in my relationship with my father. And that is, I didn't want to dishonor him. I really understood my dad's heart after a while. He was really a good man. He was very generous. And though he was strict, he was very kind. He was concerned. And you know, the last thing I wanted to do was break my dad's heart. I wanted to do what was right because I didn't want to dishonor him. That's what this is about. It's not or in order to gain God's approval. It's the fact that we don't want to hurt God. I hope that you have a relationship with your parents. That that means something. I dated a girl once. And uh, didn't date her long. But I dated her and we had a conversation. We had a conversation about standards and dating, how we were going to conduct ourselves. And this girl said something that was very revealing. Her sister, her older sister, had uh, become pregnant out of wedlock and just really hurt her parents. They were really struggling with this. She saw him cry. She saw the concern. And she said, I'm not going there because I don't want to hurt my parents. That's great. This passage teaches us we're not going there because we don't want to hurt God. That's what Joseph said. When Joseph and Potiphar's wife wanted to have a relationship to him. And he recounts the goodness of Potiphar to him. And then he says, but how can I sin against God? There is no greater motivation to live a righteous life that is greater than a desire that God is honored 
that God is not displeased. The worst thing that Nathan the prophet could say to David. Do you remember when Nathan came into David after his sin with Bathsheba, after his killing Uriah the the Hittite? Remember what Zinger Nathan said to David? He said, today thou hast given occasion in Israel to, remember, blaspheme the Lord. Today you gave occasion for people to speak dishonorably about God. David, you gave the people in this kingdom reason to speak ill of God. The greatest concern in our lives ought to be that we have a concern that people will speak ill of God. I wasn't baptized till I was 19 years of age. I came to know the Lord when I was five. Knew I wanted to be a preacher when I was 10. God had done a work in my life. And I can remember my pastor coming to me and saying, Cal, you are 19 years old. Why haven't you been baptized? And I can remember tears coming to my eyes and saying, I wanted to get through my teen years first because I didn't want to dishonor the Lord. I was afraid that I was going to do something that would dishonor him, make this public profession of following him, and then do something they would discredit the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness has that ambition. Righteousness has that goal. So the conclusion is, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, not to become beloved children, not to become a child, not to be saved, but not even to be in a place of being loved by God. Okay? But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God can't love you any more than he loves you today. Be assured of that. Know that. Have confidence in that. And by all means, don't enter into righteousness as a way to earn God's love. But knowing that God loves you, knowing the extent in which he cares for you, knowing how good and right and blessed he is, then in return, love him and live your life in such a way that you don't dishonor him. You don't corrupt his character that people look at us and say, well, if he's a Christian, then I want nothing to do with Christianity. If that's what God looks like, then I want nothing to do with God. No, we're to live in such a way that we make God appealing. 
That's what the scripture means by adorning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May our lives be, as Paul says, a sweet-smelling aroma, a perfume, a cologne, something that makes the gospel smell sweet. That's what righteousness looks like. That's the goal. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to want to live righteously because we want you to be glorified. We don't want people to speak ill of you. We don't want people to have a wrong concept of who you are. We don't want people to think that they can gain a relationship with you through their own works, their own goodness. And Lord, we don't want to exalt ourselves as though we are more righteous or we are better than others. But Lord, we really do want to reflect your glory. We really do want to represent you well. So Lord, work in us. Give us an ever-increasing hatred for sin and an ever-increasing hunger and thirst after righteousness. And unlike the person who is going to become more and more impure, never satisfied, never complete, thank you for that great promise that they who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Oh Lord, give us contentment, give us peace. Give us joy in bringing glory to you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.